Welcome to the Macrofab Engineering Podcast. We are your hosts, Stephen Craig. And Parker Dillman. This is episode 213. So one of the things is uh, we're going to be doing at Macrofab soon is we're going to be doing some webinars. I think like every Wednesday. There's actually one this week with the podcast, but uh, we forgot to mention it last week's podcast with Chris Church. Um, but I'll be doing a webinar. I think Church is doing a webinar. And... I think there's one more at the fab doing one what what, uh, what are the topics going to be uh basically just going over the macfab platform and how to use the tools to make you a you know a better engineer or a better supply chain manager stuff like that oh okay yeah. it's not really how to's it's more of like explaining what tools are there right yeah things that you might not see that can help you out yeah cool. um so I think, the, yeah, the first one is tomorrow, which will be too late for when this podcast comes out because this podcast will come out like after the webinar. <laughs> <laughs> well, OK, so for next great planning, huh? Yeah, yeah. Yes. Fantastic. For next yeah. week's, uh, uh, I guess, just go to the website and you'll see webinar or something. Yeah. And or in the podcast description is tweets and stuff. And um, I think I'm doing the second one at the check. Probably should check. Is there going to be like live chat? People can ask questions and things. Yeah, there's going to be live chat and and stuff like that. I think we're using. Ooh, what is the platform we're using? Super prepared. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Ah, Zoom. Cool. It's one of those voice over IP kind of. Uh, with webcam stuff like that. Platforms. Apparently, they do webinars. They have a webinar portion of their software, so we're going to be using that. Cool. Oh, I'm working on that a lot uh, at the fab. Tips and tricks, right? Yeah. Hot tips by Parker. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> hot mouse click action. Um, speaking of that, hot mouse click actions, I've been doing a lot of Autodesk Fusion 360, and I used to be a big into SketchUp for a long time, and... The problem I've been finding with SketchUp is it's not like dimensioned. It is dimensioned, but like when you need to go back and change something, like iterate on your design, it's actually really bad at doing that. It's abysmal at doing yeah. that. You basically have to like cut and like stitch stuff back. Yeah, it's not, it's not very good. Do you use extrude to fix your problems. Like yes. you make big blocks, as, uh, blocks and just extrude through your what you don't want. Yes. <laughs> Um, so I've been learning Audacity Fusion 360 because I've, uh, they actually, with Eagle, if you have Eagle Professional, you actually get access to Fusion 360 for free now, which is kind of cool. So basically they roll up Fusion 360 and Eagle into one, one package. Um, but I'm getting pretty good at it now. Um, I watched tons of YouTube videos and I bugged Steven, like, I think I spent like half the day bugging you. <laughs> Like yeah, four hours of your work day was spent t chatting with me over Slack on like getting like stuff to work right. <laughs> hey, but you got it. I got it. Yeah. And I'm almost as fast as I am in SketchUp. It's definitely the overall process is still faster because when I 3D print something and it's never right the first time. So you go back, tweak it. That's all now super fast because you just go back and the fact that you just go back to basically your 2D drawing. And you edit it there, and it mostly reflects it into the model. You just have to make sure you design it right. 
that's the big thing is it's a different way of designing stuff because you design a 2D view, extrude that, pick another face, and then do your 2D drawing on that, and then extrude or unextrude. Yeah, it's yeah, it's everything is two dimensional face drawings that become a three dimensional thing, and then you make bodies, components, assemblies, that kind yeah. of stuff. Yeah. And, and like the first time I I got on 360, I was like, oh my god, this is this is weird. But as soon as you like, once you get, and I'm using like air quotes here, once you get their workflow, then it's like, ah, I get it. Like, but before that, it's like, what the hell are you wanting me to do? Yeah, it's a different way of of drawing things. Um, like you have to start learning all the tools because in SketchUp you can get by with like only actually knowing three or four tools and you can get you can <laughs> line circle rectangle yeah, yeah lines and and extrude is like the only two tools you need <laughs> <laughs> yeah. whereas in in uh fusion you have to learn almost the whole tool set so you can proper properly in air quotes design something in fusion 360 like the whole idea of a whole being its own tool where in, in SketchUp, it's just you extrude a hole. Right. It's, but but then you like you extrude a hole, but Fusion doesn't consider it a hole. It's not a selectable thing then. Yeah. It's but like it's, it's now a cylindrical face, you know? Yes, a cylindrical face. Whereas the best way to do it is to draw it as a, a hole feature. And so you have to set that up in your sketch first with like intersecting point construction lines and stuff like that so that when you move if you need to move the hole you just move the construction line in your sketch in your sketch um, it's, it's a different way of thinking but once you as you as you said once you get how it works it's so much better than anything else you've ever done because <laughs> <laughs> it makes iterating much faster yeah yeah oh for sure it, like it, it once I was telling you this a while back and I think like I think it like you'll you'll agree with me. Like it wants things to be defined. Once you have things defined, it's happy. If, if yeah. it's not defined, then it's like, well, all bets are off. Good luck. I was reading on a form, like what I was trying to figure out some of the UI stuff. And it's like, what does the lock mean on your sketch? Right. Like when it has in your little uh drop down of all your sketches and stuff. And that means that everything in that sketch is constrained, which is ninety nine percent of the time a good thing. <laughs> and um and the forum post was something like you will have nightmares of unconstrained sketches <laughs> yeah for sure which is true because if you change one thing and something's not constrained it just goes out the window what that thing is going to be you know what that thing's going to look like or crash it which i've happened before <laughs> I, I've got a I've got a little bit of a uh, of a gripe with with Fusion, and it's super minor, but it happens to me a lot. So I use Fusion every single day because uh, I I do all of our CNC work with Fusion, and I've got it down now to a process because all of our work is flat metal work. Mm -hmm. So every, the only thing that changes is like the elements that I'm engraving or where a hole is or whatnot. Even even down to like the hole sizes, we have probably. I don't know, maybe 10 unique hole sizes, but they're all like, it's which of these 10 are what am I doing? But the, uh, 
So, so when you use the cam portion of Fusion 360, the first thing you have to do is you you have to create a setup, and a setup is basically what is my stock that I'm cutting, mm-hmm. and where is my model inside of that three dimensional stock. That's pretty simple, right? Um, so, in fact, all of our stock is the same size. We have large sheets of um, sheet metal, and so like it's always the same size. It's like looking at the block of marble and. I- Exactly, and you see your thing inside of it. The statue of David is in there. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. So so here, here's the thing. Uh, after you do that, then you define all of your operations. Like, oh, I'm going to chamfer a hole, or I'm going to do a, um, a contour or something like that. And once you, once you enter into your, your things to get into uh, the options on how to contour or whatnot, it's, for contouring, there are five different pages, all of options that are that are have to do with contouring and so it's like things like feeds and speeds what tool you're using what's your depth what's your roughing passes you're finishing all of that all of that good cnc jazz that you have to deal with so so here's the thing if you if you're in those menus uh and you you want to change between your units between millimeters or inches you have to go into the units drop down tab to be able to change from millimeters to inches but if you want to change that it automatically dumps you out of your contour uh settings just such that you can go change millimeters and inches so let's say you're like way into it and you're doing all of your settings which there's five pages of settings and then you're like shit i don't like is this going to be a three millimeter hole or is it going to be 0.125 inches and you want to just switch like it'll dump you out and you have to restart all of those things just to switch units like why can't i just like press a button and i'm like everything is like oh now you're millimeters or now you're inches like and in dip trace shift u automatically switches units and everything changes and that's all you have to do so you can just bounce in between like no problem whatsoever mm-hmm. it's super annoying like uh, it should not kick me out of that I, there's been many times where i'm like starting a new cnc project and i'm having to do all brand new settings for everything i'm getting new feeds and speeds and everything and i'm probably 10 minutes into doing stuff and i was like oh i'll just switch units and then i forgot and i lost everything <laughs> and had to restart <laughs> oh that sucks yeah um I haven't I haven't used that section of uh, Fusion yet because I don't I don't do a lot of CNC work I do a lot of 3D printer work and I use Cura for my my tooling my tool package so to speak so I export an STL file import that in a Cura and then that's where you build your tool paths and do all your slicing I bet you Fusion probably has that capability oh, they do. yeah it's just I've been using Cura way before, and I have all the settings set up in there. Yeah. And um, I don't really want to retune this printer again for another slicer. <laughs> so. You should try it once just to see. Yeah. Give yeah. it a shot. And I would do that after this podcast because uh, I am just currently print printing right now. <laughs> and People might be able to hear it. Cool. It's actually like very accurate representation of stepper motors. <laughs> At least so I you, think so. You had uh, you uh, had sent me an image of something you drew up in uh, in Fusion. Is this something you can talk about, or is this? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I can talk about this. Um, that's actually why I sent it to you. That's something I drew in fifteen minutes last night. Nice. So I'm, um, and that includes putting in like 
inserts and those. So so l- l- let me let me let me look at this and take some guesses. Well, okay, okay. so I can take one. Uh, let let me start by asking. We'll do some twenty questions. Fusion okay. three sixty twenty questions here. Uh, so first one is just a. Uh, uh, binary question here is this for a macrofab project or for a parker project parker project okay it's automotive related then yes okay <laughs> like that's just like <laughs> guaranteed it's automotive related okay so so this is a big this this thing is rectangular uh it has two circular uh extensions off of the long edges and to give you the circular extensions are going to be longer okay they're that short because this thing is all is like the that's like the maximum size I can put in my printer. Ah, okay. and so I'm going to prototype it on my printer, and I, I'm not going to use it in real life. And then when I get the real one made, those extensions, the, the tubes on the end go longer. Got it. Got it. Okay. So that gives you also some scale of how big this thing is. Right. Okay. Okay. Um. So so one okay so the the one face of this rectangle is is like wide open. Basically, it's yes. not a complete closed. Um, well, I, sh- I should say a cube or or whatever you would call that. Yeah, it does have a lid that goes over. That's what the screws are for. Is it a clear lid? Uh, it could, could be, be but it, it, not inherently. Okay, and yeah. then it has six. Uh, what are they? Allen screws. Yeah, that's to hold the lid on. Okay, yeah, just to hold the lid on, and then uh, uh, so so the the circular extensions off of this rectangle have um, they're 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 halfway. Uh, blocked um, half on one side and half on the other side. Uh, so this kind of makes me think that there's some kind of airflow that goes through this, right? Yes. Okay. So so here's the thing. I know you have three cars. You have a Jeep, you have a, a wagon, and yes. you have a checker. Yes. Which one is this for? None of them in particular. So it could be for any of them. Yeah, this is more of like prototyping a future system I kind of want to design. Okay. If it goes on one of those cars, does it go on the intake or the outtake of a car? Uh, for an engine, neither. Oh, okay. So it's not part of an engine. No. Huh. Okay. Uh, what is the, what is the radius of those, uh, circular parts is like three inches, three inches. Yeah. Okay. 75 millimeters. Okay. So some kind of like hose connects to this. Yes. And it drinks air somehow. Yes. Uh, is this some kind of like air conditioning thing? Yes. Okay, what what, what part? It is a, a, a cabin air filter ah, holder. So got it. The, so you could put like a rectangular filter into this? Ah, there it is. <laughs> yes. I got it. <laughs> so it's a little uh, like almost like three inch by six inch little filter. These are actually the filters cabin air filters that you put into the newer jeeps ah and i see i see there okay so there's some inside this rectangle there, there's one thing that really kind of gives it away it's the fact that there is a um uh, an angled some angled slots such that the the filter fits into this thing at a bias yes uh ah, okay okay cool and so you, you you slide your filter in put the lid on and then yeah. you've got a uh enclosed inline filter okay um, okay so the lid on this does need to be clear so you can look in and see if it's dirty and see if you need to f- change it you just replace it every year 
because it's going to be tucked under. This is like I'm prototyping a way to because so the context for this project is um, all aftermarket air conditioners for cars like vintage air or or classic auto air. All these guys, they're never they're not designed to cycle outside air. They're only for recirculation, mm. um, which is great because that's actually. Stuff gets the hottest and stuff gets the coldest when you recirculate. So if you fart in the car. <laughs> yeah. Well, most cars are actually when you start up the car, it, it defaults to circulate. Right. That's the fastest way for it to cool down. I actually like having outside air mixed in. Um, Like when in my my TJ Jeep or Red Jeep is I usually actually will just have outside air blowing into me while I'm on the freeway or driving around like like 80 percent of the year. Like mm-hmm. up until it gets about ninety degrees, that's enough to keep me cool down. Mm-hmm. Over ninety, it feels like a hair dryer now blowing it's like on you. Dog's so you, breath. Yeah, so you want to turn the air conditioner on. Yeah. Um, and that was actually one of the downsides when I did the wagons air conditioner is I don't really have an outside air source besides like the stock style vents. Mm-hmm. So you pu- basically on old cars you have a cable that you pull the cable and it opens up a flap somewhere. And then air comes into the cabin that way. But it's dependent on air, like how fast you're driving. So if you're sitting at a stoplight, you don't get any fresh air. Right. Um, so that stuff kind of sucks. Um, so what I wanted to do was is develop a, a system that you could put into your car, uh, old car, that would work in conjunction with like a vintage air air conditioner system. So you would take the vintage air air conditioner system, remove the fan, put a spacer in between the fan and the body because they, they kind of unbolt. And so in that spacer, you could pipe in your fresh air. And so how you get the fresh air is um, uh, you need to filter it first because you're going to get like pollen and, and bugs and stuff. And so you want to <laughs> capture that before you force that through an air conditioner um, evaporator core. <laughs> right? <laughs> right. And, and so to get that air, I'm actually looking at bilge air pumps or bilge uh, air blowers for like boats. Okay. Because they make them, they make them perfect. They're like, they are designed for inline tubing mm. that you would use an HVAC system. Right. Like three inch automotive stuff. And they're three inches in diameter and they flow like, you know, 150 CFM. Mm. And I'm like, that should be, we'll see if it's plenty. We'll see. I would think in Houston, that filter, you would need to change it once a month, not once a year. <laughs> um, I changed the one that's on my dad's Tahoe, and it was in there for two years, and it still had plenty of life. Okay. Um, I, I went off mileage for that, and after two years, I pulled it out, and it, had, it definitely had, like, pollen and stuff all over it, but I'm like, yellow. you know what? <laughs> you could probably run this for one more year and be fine. Yeah. But went ahead, and I already had it apart. It's like, I'm not putting in a. I already bought the ten dollar filter. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not putting a dirty one back in. Um, so that's um kind of what I've been doing Autodesk Fusion for modeling that kind of stuff up, printing it, doing a lot of fixtures at work. But more on the car stuff is I've been learning how to braze uh stuff like well i say stuff like gas tanks and and radiators especially for the checker because everything's really old and rusted out um so i've been brazing brazing brass radiators is pretty easy um because it 
the lead flows really easily on it. I haven't tried doing like silver solder. Well, no, I did do it. Uh, I did silver solder on my kettles. Yeah. Yeah. Um, silver solder is a pain to work with because you need to be, it needs to be a lot hotter. And I only have a propane torch and propane's barely hot enough to do it. I, I saw some guys on uh, YouTube do their kettles with map gas. Yeah. So I'm thinking about getting a map gas, but I also have an acetylene torch set up. So I'm like, oh, well, that'll do it too. <laughs> but you'll, you'll go through your kettle. <laughs> yeah. I just got to be, yeah, you got to be careful with it. And um, I got to get new hoses because um, I've actually never used it. Make sure you put those arresters on it. Yeah. I, yeah. I need to modernize everything because I bought it for 150 bucks at a garage sale. <laughs> nice. <laughs> so, I mean, the tanks are pretty much full. Oh, well, that's worth 150 bucks right there. Yeah, I know. Not including the tanks. Yeah. And yeah. all the torches I got and stuff. But I'm like, the hoses work. They don't leak. Yeah. But I'm, they don't have arresters in them. So I'm like, okay. Oh, yeah, yeah. You want arresters. You got bombs on your hands there. Yeah, so I'm, I'm just going to get some new uh, cables for them. Not cables, uh, hoses. Yeah. Anyways, uh, brass radiators are pretty easy. Um, the stainless kettles for my brewing... I did those. I silver soldered those. That seems to be working pretty well. They don't leak. And then the new thing I've learned to braise is like brass fittings on steel gas tanks. Because apparently back in the 60s and probably prior to this, um, when they built the checker is welding really thin sheet metal was a pain in the butt. Because um, they probably had, I don't know when TIG started becoming a thing you could do, but... If, if anything, like, if they had it, it would have been scratch start. And, uh, yeah. They, they I mean, stick would have been what they had. Yeah. Um, so a lot of steel tanks and stuff like that were actually brazed together because it was easier to uh, easier manufacturing process, whereas nowadays everything's TIG welded. Right. By a robot arm. Yes, by a robot arm. Um, and so I rebraze brass back onto the steel gas tank and it turned out great um no leaks and i'm cleaning up the gas tank like it's been soaking in like um uh etching material for because i'm like taking all the rust out of it for like the past day it's gonna be holding up pretty good not leaking nice um but one thing you gotta be careful with with gas tanks is no matter how old they are they will always still have gas fumes in them so you have to make sure to get rid of all those fumes. Uh, a lot of people are like, you take it to a like a radiator shop if you happen to have one, and they boil the tank, and hmm. it gets all the fumes. I I managed to just like I just degrease the crap out of it and let it soak for like a week, and once I drained it and it dried out, it didn't smell like gas anymore. Yeah, um, and all the varnish was gone. So um, I definitely did like flick a match at it from like across the garage. <laughs> And, and see it, if it, it will go foomp, and yeah. that didn't happen. And so yeah, I've been drilling, welding on it. When was the last time it had gas in it? Uh, thirty-two years ago. Pretty sure you're okay. Yeah, but it definitely did smell a little gassy still. Got it. So the last thing you want to do is pull out your propane torch and start brazing something, and then you know explode your your tank <laughs> all up in your face, right? Because <laughs> of course you're like hunched over like. So you can get a good view of your fillet as you're brazing, right? Right. Or yeah. you have your acetylene torch without arresters on it, and oh, and then it goes to town. <laughs> the, the, the 
Dasank blows up on blows you up. Blows back to the tanks and you got two giant missiles <laughs> flying yeah. in the air. <laughs> oh, that's great. Suburban home in Houston, Texas, ablaze and on fire and, and just a crater in the garage. <laughs> oh man, uh I, I was working a job in Fort Worth um while back and a uh, a welding supply well, the largest welding supply uh, shop in the entire area actually caught on fire. And Ooh. we all just sat there watching the uh, the TV because those giant 125-pound tanks are just taken off like rockets. <laughs> <laughs> it was kind of scary, actually. Drive by as close as you can get to the uh, on, like, the nearest freeway and just get a cooler beer. <laughs> yeah. No, it was pretty scary. I mean, they they like they evacuated like miles around it. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah for sure. But, you know, I I learned a I learned an automotive trick the other day, um, and it totally makes sense. Uh, but uh, I'd never really done it before. Um, I was actually having a little bit of trouble with my truck starting, and I noticed I just had a ton of corrosion on my battery terminals. Uh, and so I was going at them with uh, some uh, some toothbrushes and just trying to clean them and stuff. And then I looked it up, uh, hot water and baking soda. Uh, you just dunk your terminals in there, and holy crap, it works really, really mm -hmm. good. I mean, go figure. You put a pretty hefty base next to a pretty hefty acid, and they kind of destroy each other, right? Yep. And uh, the baking soda has uh, has a abrasive property to it. Oh, yeah. If you scrub with it, then it's, yeah. Yeah, you scrub with it, and it... You basically make a paste, and it kind of does its thing. Right. But, I mean, just dunking it in the warm water, I mean, my terminals came out, and they look like brand-new copper. Oh, cool. Yeah. It's worth it's worth giving it a try. Yeah. And the, 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 the liquid comes out like a nasty green-brown color. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Did, did it fix the problem? Oh, yeah, for sure. Like, yeah, you, get, you have 750 starting amps on that thing. And uh, you don't put any resistance in line with it. It starts your car up pretty fast. <laughs> <laughs> no. Cool. So uh, I've been kind of moving on to uh, not some new projects, but actually taking care of a bunch of old ones. So I've been trying to... Oh, that's the best feeling. It feels, it feels great. So get this. I, I've been really trying to buck the standard of the podcast of like projects like turning into dust and just sitting there on the shelf uh we need thanos to show up and snap his fingers yes snap his fingers and, and restart away. so we can have projects <laughs> new projects to put on the shelf <laughs> no 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 like at the beginning of the year i was like i, w I really want to knock out a handful of stuff and uh i was like if if i get caught in the trap of like i need x tool for y project for z final thing then i have to follow through with that and uh, luckily, I've been doing it, and I've been super excited about it. So I had a joiner planer that I bought uh, a year ago. Uh, and uh, no, it was a year ago. Well, it was a little bit over a year ago. Yeah, a little bit over. Because you had it when I was up there in July last year. Right. And not long after you were here in July, I tore it down bolt by bolt, everything. Yeah. And then I let it sit for six months. And um, I was like, I'm not allowed to start or do any other thing until I finish the joiner planer. And I totally just like ripped through that. Now, I, of course I bought a couple of tools in order to finish that, like ultrasonic cleaner and stuff. 
Uh, actually, I bought that ultrasonic cleaner after we talked about ultrasonic cleaners on <sighs> on the podcast, and it's amazing. It's so worth it. Yeah, I mean, I, go g- get the get the twenty percent off coupon for Harbor Freight and buy their their thing. I think it ends up being like sixty bucks, and uh, you just you know just squeeze like a boatload of dishwasher soap in there, and then get some of their cleaner that they get that they sell. It smells like urine. And uh, it just like it cleans <laughs> bolts like nobody's business, but yeah. So so okay, get this. I I completely redo my joiner planer, and I spend like half a damn day calibrating that thing. Like I I got super anal. I, I'm got my my calipers out, and I got that thing flat to within like five thousandths of an inch. Which you can build. Wood, who you cares? can build a mahogany dash for the space shuttle? Right. Yeah. That's 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 the goal <laughs> on this. I mean the big okay, so the biggest thing that sucks about this joiner planer is, is like by itself, it's um, uh, it's not flat. Well, the the, the in feed table is not. Gosh, what's the right word for it? It's not on the same plane. It's slightly tipped and tilted. Okay. Uh, so in order to fix that, you have to get uh, feeler gauges out, and you have to put feeler gauges at different points of the the sliding portion of the infield t- in feed table so you know it's sitting there like put an eight thou feeler gauge on there and then like put it all back together and then get your get your uh, dial indicator out and then slide around and find out and they're like oh okay well maybe it was nine thou that i need to put on there oh, <laughs> like, no. it took forever but i got it f- super flat and super 90 now so i finished that such that I could build the base for my CNC, which has been inoperable for a while. Ever since you moved up there. Well, ever since I moved up, yeah, right. It's just been sitting in my uh, in my garage. So I end up building the the base for my CNC. But in order for my CNC to work, I need two twenty in my basement. So I ran two twenty lines with a uh, with a disconnect. So I've got a new sixty amp service to my basement which by the way thanks everyone on the slack channel who helped me kind of figure out what's the decent way to do that and pretend to be up to code uh (laughs) and then i I went out and i snagged a table saw such that i can build a torsion box that goes on top of this uh this new table that i did i also completely restored the whole gantry explain what a torsion box is oh torsion box is um it's like a First of all, Google it. If you just Google it and look at an image, you go, oh, okay, that's what it is. It's just a network of... of Fine, um, I'm going to Google it. It's a network of... Uh, uh, or it's more like a, a matrix of uh, wooden interconnects that form like uh, like an egg crate box style thing that is skinned on top and bottom. And because it's all just seamed together in the way that it is, it resists bending, twisting and uh moisture changes so it makes an excellent topper for a cnc okay yeah i'm looking at it okay that makes sense yeah a a lot of uh a lot of like nice workbenches use them because they remain flat uh regardless of temperature changes and moisture changes and if you use mdf then it's a it's a pretty good home gamer top basically so yeah i i Completely, just like the joiner planer, I completely ripped apart the entire um, gantry top uh, or the whole gantry of my CNC, and I've rebuilt that top to bottom. Once again, great uh, piece, uh, great thing for the ultrasonic cleaner to go to town on. 
on all those chains and stuff. No, I'm I'm just buying new chains. Those chains are garbage. I mean, they're just they're just like they're long strings of rust now. <laughs> they're not like they're, they're totally worthless. And a number twenty five chain, like twenty feet of it, is ten bucks you know like i'm not gonna worry yeah. too much about that although so uh all of my bearings on my cnc are v groove bearings and those are not cheap uh and i tested one of them in the ultrasonic cleaner and it came out great so i threw everything in there and i just cleaned the living bejesus <laughs> out of them and they actually some of them are a little bit crusty and like you spin them and you can feel some it's not. It's not even grit, but it feels like the. It feels like the balls in the ball bearings are not balls anymore. No. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, but in general, like just the way that this CNC functions, I, like I, it's not going to cause me any. It's not. I'm not going to lose sleep over that. Uh, it'll mm -hmm. be fine. Also, there's a couple of positions that those V groove bearings um go into that are less critical than others so i'm gonna put the good ones where it's critical and the other ones that are just used for like tensioning uh i'll use the bad ones there so i and 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 bad is sort of relative they still spin and everything they're just some mm -hmm. feel a little more crusty than the other ones yeah i think that that cnc is one of my favorites because it's a very good drinking activity yeah if every single time Steve and I used that CNC, we'd be at your old shop yeah. for like six hours and then kill like an entire cooler of beer. <laughs> oh man! It's like when you when you barp when you smoke like brisket like or or meats on the it's on an smoker. event. It's a it was, it's an event, but you gauge it by how many beers it takes. <laughs> so like a brisket is like an eighteen beer thing. Sure. So yeah, like it, it takes sense. 18 beers and when you finish your 18th beer, the brisket's done. That's a lot of beer, but you know, it takes eight the my for me 8 hours or more to properly smoke that brisket. Yeah. So it just melts in your mouth. Oh man. <laughs> I need to make some brisket now. Well, my um, CNC's going to melt in your mouth when it's when it's fully <laughs> up and running. <laughs> So so here's the thing. Like of course I have I have a larger plan with all of this. Like my CNC's not fantastic. It's it's I mean it's what I want to use it for, it's fine. Like it'll yeah. I'm I'm going to be cutting plywood and that's what my CNC's meant for. I might cut some guitar bodies on it also. It's plenty suitable for that. I can use it I have in the past and it works fine to like drill holes in um, steel chassis and stuff. It works fine mm -hmm. for that. I'm not going to be milling aluminum or anything. I don't, and I don't really have any needs for it. So all of these upgrades are going to uh, work fine for the end product. If I ever want to get into like home gaming, milling aluminum uh, and stuff, I'll just go a different route. Um, but, but that being said, I did end up getting a new spindle for it. And I went with one of those Chinese, uh, 2.2 kilowatt spindles, which is one of the reasons why I put the 220 volt in my basement. Actually, one of the multiple reasons my TIG welder that I bought a year ago runs on 220. So I wanted the full force of that uh, that guy. So the 220 on that. I haven't brewed in a long time, and my brew rig runs on 220. So I'm like, I've got a, a CNC that I could run on 220, but those other two things that regardless are going to need 220, so I might as well install that and go to town on it. So. Mm -hmm. Now you need an, a guitar amplifier that runs on 220? That's actually not that hard. <laughs> that's, that's really yeah, I know, it's just a different in, <laughs> just uh, a, yeah. power amplifier. Most of, most of my guitar amps have, the, uh, have a 220 tap on the 
um, power transformer anyway, so I would just need to switch it over. The biggest problem is just the um, the inlet or the uh, IEC connector, just because right. I don't use two twenty on that. So, but yeah, uh, so. I've got most of that done. In fact, right after the podcast, I'm going to go wire up the electrical box for uh, the CNC. So I really hope to have that going up here soon, mainly because I want to get back to cutting guitar cabinets. Uh, I haven't done that in a while, and I've got some Mm -hmm. new designs that I want to try out. Uh, So the new spindle is really going to kill on that because I was using a, um, I guess, I think it was a Porter Cable uh, router. I think it was a DeWalt because I remember it being yellow. No, no, it's sitting right over here. It's a portable okay. cable. Um, but it's a handheld router. The the one thing that's nice, it's funny because I don't really need this, but this new spindle has, it's, it's a VFD, so I can run it at, I can actually have like Fusion 360s speed, speed, uh, spit out speed control. And the nice thing about that is um, I, I bought a uh, edge feeler a while ago, and edge feelers are not particularly happy running at like 10,000 RPM, which is what the router wants to spin at because it's mm-hmm. air-cooled. But since this one is water-cooled, um, I, I usually run my edge feelers about 1,000 RPM pretty damn slow. So I, I'm actually going to have some decent you know, uh, origin-finding capabilities on this CNC. If, if Parker, you might remember my old one. I used to just like yeah, that looks about zero, zero, set it origin, you know, <laughs> like just drive it to where you think it's good enough. Because most of the stuff I did was flat work. So who cares, right? Yeah, you're cutting it on a big sheet of plywood. So you're like, ah, it's near the corner. Right. And as long as your 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 stock is stock in terms of the, the plywood is square ish, it's going to be fine. Well, and you can use the CNC to make it square. Yes. Uh, the, the biggest thing is with guitar bodies especially guitar necks which i have cut guitar necks on my cnc with a lot of that's like a six beer job right there for sure uh but you like finding the edge squaring everything up and the thing about guitar bodies and guitar necks guitar necks in particular there's uh well if if you're talking about like a les paul neck mm-hmm. there's no there's actually no flat parts whatsoever on the entire neck there's nothing to reference from on it so how do you cut something that has zero flat parts uh you have to be creative about how you clamp in your um your stock and you find your edges and things like that so um that's really what i wanted to use the uh, edge finder for which wasn't able to do previously now that i look back how did i how did i even do half this crap without like (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I don't even remember how I did it, and I've cut like five or six guitar necks, and they all came out pretty damn good. So, I don't know. I'm well, I'll just be better. Yeah, now now they're going to be awesome. I'm super stoked about it. One of the things is I'd like to try um, is cutting an entire guitar body and neck out of a single piece. You know? Oh, that'd be cool. Yeah, uh, but I mean, that's like, I don't know how long that would take. It would take forever. Yeah. I mean, if you, if you look at a, if you look at things you got like the, uh, do it. <laughs> the uh, Fender Telecaster, if you look at it from a manufacturing perspective, um, it was very much designed to be manufactured. It has nice flats. There's certain areas where like this flat portion is the same plane as this flat portion, such that it sits down on a table nicely. 
Oh, uh, a, a, a fixture would be very easy to make for it. Very easy to make for it. The entire neck, like if you look at the stock or a stock profile of it, fits within something that is exactly one inch thick. You know, there's a lot of like, like all of the operations for the body. There's no curves or there's no three dimensional curves, I should say. Uh, so you can do everything as one operation from the top side, flip it over and then do one operation from the backside. So it, like it's it's very clearly meant to be that way. So I don't know. I pay attention to that crap all the time. I, oh, I do the same. Well, I, I do a lot. Of, you know, I do a lot of 3D printing. So I tend to break things down into, OK, how is this going to be easy to 3D print? Because printing with supports, I don't like doing it because it takes forever to do that. Right. You can easily add a couple hours to your print if you have the print supports, and then you gotta go and clean them up. Yeah, yeah. You know, okay, okay. I got I got a funny tangent here. Um, I was taking a shower this morning, and oh, thank thank the maker, <laughs> the first one this year. <laughs> uh, no, no. So so. On on the, we have a shelf in our shower that where my wife keeps all of the thousands of project products that she uses, and uh, she's got two bottles of I think I think it's conditioner, uh, and they're, they're these bottles were for people who have dyed hair, which my wife has dyed hair at the moment, and uh, they're both the same thing, but one of them has like these you know new improved formula and blah blah blah. So like I flip them around and lo and behold the ingredient list is different. But they're both exactly the same product, but they they, they, they have okay. different ingredients. So yeah, sure. But one of the things I noticed is that the the a lot of the things on the bottle had actually changed. So like fonts, some of the images on the bottle and stuff. I'm going somewhere with this. Hang on. But okay. like they say like new and improved on the front, but I noticed that all of the fonts were smaller, all of the text was smaller. And the number of colors that they used on the bottle were uh, had reduced. I actually counted the number of colors that they used on the <laughs> bottle. On the on the old version, they used six different colors, and on the new one, they only used three. And in fact, they didn't even use three because the substrate of the bottle was one color. So they actually only used two colors on the new one. And then I looked at the seam where they put everything together, and noticed that like on the previous one, like the actual bottle was made of like an actual colored uh, plastic or whatever they were using. Mm -hmm. And on the new one, it was it was just white, which I can only assume was cheaper. So I started going through in my mind like, yeah, they did a whole new and improved thing. But what it probably was is they were just cutting corners and trying to make everything cheaper. Less artwork, less colors to print. Uh, probably mm -hmm. a different bottle design and things like that, but they're they're marketing and selling it. It's, oh, we've got this whole brand new thing. I've got oh, a yeah, I've got a problem. These are the things that I think about when I'm taking a shower. <laughs> shower. <laughs> like clearly, shower that's thoughts. a manufacturing thing that they were cutting corners there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, with a creative marketing team. So, uh, and then I want to give just a quick update on my fermentation controller project, which. I, I'm also making project, uh, progress on that. Uh, so I've decided to pull a handful of small audibles on the design for it, um, for mm -hmm. the UI, because I, I put some more thought into it, and I was going really, really hardcore into, like, menus and all this other crap about, like, you know, and I, I realized, like, I feature creep way too hard in my head about, like, how grand this thing needs to be. The screen needs to show 
uh, like the current temperature and a set temperature. Like that's really all it needs to do. So I'm going to make the, like the menu system a lot easier. And I decided to just reduce the number of buttons. It doesn't need as many buttons as it had before. It probably doesn't even need a full keypad. Like I'm going to do some like accept buttons and rotary encoders. Cause that just makes it easier. Like the, like there's two outputs that each output is able to heat and cool. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, there's a rotary encoder for output one and a rotary encoder for output two, and it selects the temperature and then you press, you press the button and say, okay. And then it goes to town, you know, there might be some extra features that allow you to set the hysteresis. Like, do you want it to switch on and off one degree or five degrees? But oh, it's window. It's window. But I might not even make that an option. I might just like say, like, deal with it. You got a one degree hysteresis, yeah. you know? So, um, yeah, I think I think that might just be the easiest way of doing it. Um, not that I'm trying to like make it easier, but I'm just realizing like it doesn't need to be as complex as I was making it before. I was just doing it for complexity's sake before, and now I just kind of want to get it done uh, instead. <laughs> so uh, I did actually come across or finally get in some switches that I uh, I like. I don't have the part number on it right now, but I'll show it to Parker on the screen. They're nice. They're nice clicky buttons, and yeah. they they feel kind of chunky and and nice. So they're not they're not cheap, but whatever. You know, I'm making two of these things. Um, yep. So then the uh, the other thing that uh, I've basically the schematic is really close to being done. Um, I just have to add one or two um, small things, some level shifters and stuff, uh, and I finish the SSR footprints for that. So th- those were kind of crappy, just because. Like those SSRs you find randomly. I say randomly, like they're just like Amazon SSRs and things like that. Yeah. yeah. Uh, they don't have great data sheets and they don't have great dimensions. If they have them stuff. at all. Yeah. Well, they do, but they're just not, they just don't feel up to snuff, you know? So I had to, to with these kind of footprints, I had to um, make some concessions and just say, like, well, this is what I think it's going to be, you know? And, yeah, yeah, yeah. and like good enough <laughs> footprints, you know? <laughs> A lot of that Chinese crap it ends up just being good enough, you know. Good enough for your calipers. Yeah. So I'll have the uh, schematic done, and like, man, the the layout for this thing I could probably do in two hours. It's not going to be hard to do. So um, hopefully, I'll have some updates on that next week. Cool. Rock and roll. I'm looking forward to it. Yeah. Well, y- your rig's almost ready to accept it. It is so. It is so close. Like. I got to mount the pumps, and I'm thinking about doing that tonight. Yeah. Um, What's stopping you? Well, I'm I'm thinking I'm going to make the, the mounts for the pumps out of aluminum, which means I need to cut it. And it might be too late to cut it. I'm just going to cut the aluminum on my, my table saw. Oh, yeah. I got some uh, leftover quarter-inch aluminum stock. Wow, you're um, going to cut quarter-inch on a table saw? Yeah, works fine. Uh, okay. Just don't go super fast. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Kickback would send it through you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, I, yeah. I just need to cut it and then put some um, uh, bolts through it. And then because I, I need to make like basically I'm making a wider flange because those those brewery chugger pumps, the, the flange is so tiny. Hmm. 
you can't really get a like I could just take the pump and mount it to the 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 wooden counter I'm using for the top because I'm mounting them upside down. Mm-hmm. But if I ever have to remove it, it's gonna be a pain in the butt because you have to get underneath there with a with your screwdriver at like a forty five degree angle. Yeah, and so I'm gonna build. I'm basically making a plate that they sit on. And you attach them, the chugger pumps to the plate, and then the plate mounts up. Yeah, yeah. And so you have straight access to the thing that's actually mounting it to the uh, countertop. Um, yeah, I should do it tonight and get that all mounted up. And then basically start doing tube bending. Nice. Get all that stuff done. Yeah. Or frustrating. We'll see. <laughs> <laughs> I did some test bends with some stainless and... Stainless is very finicky with bending, especially this thin wall uh, tubing stuff I'm using. Um, you have to be very careful with it. Even with, like, I have really good, like, bending dies and stuff, but... You going to fill know. it with sand? Um, I don't think I need to. I think I just need to um, use some, um, like, WD-40 to lubricate the dies. And it seems to bend really well without... Sand, I think, is mainly used for like if you're using like the hand bender stuff. Yeah. Um, but these are actually like dies that rotate, that roll. Right. Um, seems to work pretty well. Cool. We'll see. What's the worst that can happen? <laughs> you have to buy a bunch. Of <laughs> I buy another roll of tubing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. RFO time. Cool. So, Raspberry Pi Four released a fix to their USB problem. So you, what that means is they ran out of their previous stock manufacturing run, right? Uh, you know, that's what it's feeling like right now. Because uh, what's interesting is if you go to like their website, they they're not like announcing this. It's not like, hey, we fixed our mess up here. Uh, in fact, uh, the the reason I even heard about it is because there was a Hackaday article where people were noticing, hey, a handful of things have changed on this new pie that showed up at our shop. Like it yeah. looks slightly different, so it's it's interesting. I don't know why they wouldn't um, mention it or Advertise say like, it. "Hey, you know, we have our fix." Maybe they're just trying to quietly say like, eh, "It's fixed," you know. Yep. So uh, they they made a handful of um, design for manufacturability changes, uh, which includes moving the um, the voltage switch for the SD card, and they made some um, silkscreen changes that were causing some issues with solder bridging. Uh, between mm. pads and things like that, but then also added the missing resistor for making it work. Because they, I, I bet you, an engineer fixed that the day of it became a problem. Oh yeah, committed everything, and that's like okay, yeah. we're done. Yeah. yeah, it's just now it's got to make it to manufacturing, which is, you know, they got to use all the PCBs and all the parts from their last run, so you can't just push that fix right away. No, 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 for sure. And you're probably right. They had warehouses of pies to get rid of yeah cool well now if you buy it you can use any USB-C uh cable to power yeah. it as opposed to just dumb ones um the next topic is the chinese tariff we also hate right now um there's a slight exemption to it which is probably a rejoice to a lot of people who are listening to this podcast there is an exemption for two and four layer pcbs bare pcbs when did this uh, go into effect? Like yesterday. Cool. <laughs> I think like the 28th or something like that. Hey, are, are they doing this just to relieve pressure from all the uh, from the Chinese New Year and the uh, coronavirus issues? 
I don't know. Uh, it came up twenty fourth, so yeah, I was correct. Not I was correct on the. It was yesterday. I was incorrect on it being the twenty eighth. Yeah. There's a reason I thought it was the twenty ninth. <laughs> Anyways, came out this Monday. Um, I don't know why. I it might be part of because I know our great leaders have been, you know, in meetings or whatever, trying to strike a trade deal, and this might be part of their concessions. Ah, maybe. Um, I don't know too much more about why, but it happened. So, so the list of items that are on here, I started just browsing through them and I came to number 31, which listen to how specific this is. It's great. Bags of woven nylon with leather trim, each having a metal side fastener and a locking mechanism on one end of the bag to prevent the slide fastener from opening, measuring 11 centimeters or more, but not 20 centimeters in length, 5 centimeters or more, but not 9 centimeters in width, and 7 centimeters or more, but not more than 12 centimeters in height. That is exempt. If someone <laughs> could find us what that yeah, is. What the hell is that? What? Oh, it's a bag of that wool. That is a specific product. Yeah, right, right, exactly. What is that that it needed to be on this list and now off this list? Yeah. <laughs> what the hell? Someone couldn't their someone couldn't get their fake Gucci bags is what what that is. <laughs> That's true. Yeah, there we go. All right. Well, yeah that that really does describe something incredibly specific. A lot of these are really specific. Oh yeah, very. But then some are super generic, like. Uh, the PCBs of two layers. It's <laughs> like, okay, that's like 90% of PCBs at that point. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, could you could you make the argument that a six layer is just three two layer boards squished together? <laughs> Super glued together? <laughs> yeah. Ah, rejoice for everyone in San Francisco. Drinking straws of paper are now exempt. Oh. You don't have to pay tariffs on that anymore. Nice. So they can melt and disintegrate faster. <laughs> well, uh, when does this this goes till August seventh of twenty twenty? Yeah, um, that's where this exemption expires, hmm. or unless they extend it or get rid of the tariffs. Well, that's yeah. Some of the stuff is we talked about this last time when we were talking about um, the the tariff stuff and just like how oddly specific some of the stuff is. And then how broad some of this stuff is. Oh, look at number 75. Printed circuit board assemblies of a kind used in motor vehicle lighting systems. Hmm. So. Well, I'll, all my PCBs will be for automotive lighting systems now. Game calling devices uh, imported with or without remote control devices used in hunting to simulate the sound of animals to attract game. I actually own one of those. Do you really? A duck call? Mine was made in the United States, though. Yeah. I think. At the check. But yes, it, I use it to hunt uh, coyotes. <laughs> really? When did, yeah. When have you hunted coyotes? The uh, past couple of years. I haven't gotten one yet. So <laughs> They're not coming to your house? <laughs> no, 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 no. I'll, I'll, West Texas. Yeah, in suburbia, Houston. Yeah, right. I keep calling them, <laughs> go, but they're not coming. <laughs> go, go down to the bayou. <laughs> is it okay? So, isn't coyote legal to hunt in Texas? Like, yes. just overall, like they're considered pest, right? Uh, I don't know if you have to hunt them. I've only hunted them through hunting season. I don't know if you can hunt them out of hunting season. Not, uh, but hogs, you can hunt anytime. 
Yeah. Well, hogs is an inva- the uh, hogs are an invasive species. So yes. I thought. I thought. I, I don't think coyotes are invasive. Hmm. Maybe they are. I don't know. I'm, apparently, I'm very bad at hunting them because I have not gotten one in three years. <laughs> All right. Onward. Um, this is a Reddit post I found, which is the Fisher and Paykill. I think that's the brand name of an appliance company. Yeah. Um, PCB silkscreen design. And so someone was repairing a an appliance they've owned for a long time, and they noticed on the PCB underneath some components, there are sad faces, like frowny, like emoji faces. In the silkscreen layer. In the silkscreen. And the hardware engineer that actually worked on that project back in 2007 or prior um, actually chimed in, which is, this is amazing, that they actually put those silkscreen markings underneath parts that are hand-placed. And so if you look at a board and you see my uh, frowny faces, that means you missed a part. It's a cute way of doing it, I guess. Yeah. Um, so how do y'all know if you have all your components installed or not? We just do. You just do? <laughs> no. Well, I mean, um, almost, well, yeah, pretty much 100% of our through-hole components have to fit through a hole in our panels. So it's pretty obvious. And almost 100% of our through-hole components require testing uh like because they're a knob that eventually has to be turned or a button that has to be pressed uh because we do 100 percent testing on 100 percent of our products so so you know uh that's one of the easier things to to catch in our industry uh one thing i've actually seen before that was uh, pretty cool in a factory i worked in once um they made overlay cutouts uh, so basically there was, there was a little jig that sat on the table. You put the board in it and then you fold this overlay over it. And this overlay has holes cut out in it where a part goes. So, and so if you see PCB, yeah, if you see PCB, then you didn't populate something. And so it was a pretty simple check to do. Uh, they also had it set up where once you were done, you would hand it to the next person and they would put the same overlay and they would double check you. So, but Sad faces is a pretty convenient way of doing it. Although most of the comments underneath that were like, holy crap, how awful would it be to just look at sad faces all day long? <laughs> if you're bad at your job, yeah. You'll have a sad face. Yeah, you have a sad face. All right, cool. All right. I, think I, guess, I guess I didn't have AOI then. That's That was the AOI. Yep. All right, cool. Well, I think that's going to wrap it up. We're, yeah. We are we are twenty seconds away from an hour. Let's finish this right at an hour. All right, or, okay. or right before. Okay. So that was the MacFab Engineering Podcast. We were your hosts, Parker Dillman and Stephen Gray. Later, everyone. Take it easy.